We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 14. And we will be in the text right where we left off. And we will see that God in His marvelous wisdom, God in His omniscience, God in His divine plan would see fit that the text that we would be in anyway would be a text has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In any sermon, really, we want to make a beeline to Christ. We want to make a beeline to the cross and indeed to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have a Bible in the pew before you this morning, you may find a a Bible, a black NASB copy of God's Word. I encourage you to grab that if you indeed do have one in front of you. If you do not have the Word of God, it's important to have the Word of God open before us as we study it, for it is God-breathed. It is what God has given us to which we may know Him and we may know how we then must live. John chapter 14, we pick up in verse 16 this morning. Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world no longer sees me, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Again, I'll ask the Lord for help. This morning, God, give us understanding of your word. God, give me strength. Help me to be faithful to the text this morning to glorify Jesus Christ and to present your truth as you would have me to do so, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have several points to look at this morning. But if we just look in the uh, the first verse alone, we see uh, the Trinity we see the triune God there in that verse. I will ask the Father, Jesus speaking, Jesus the Son of God will ask God the Father, and He, God the Father, will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit of God, that He, the Holy Spirit of God, may be with you forever. Indeed, we serve a triune God. The Bible teaches a triune God over and over and over again. We see the Trinity in the Word of God. Jesus is telling his disciples here, if we remember, uh, Jesus is on his way to the cross very soon. This is his uh, departure discourse to them. He's encouraging them as they are troubled in spirit. They are confused in some ways. They are saddened in other ways. This Jesus who had been with them for three years and they with him is now going to depart And Jesus is going to make a request, a prayer to the Father for the disciples to have another helper. 
And we say, what does the Holy Spirit of God have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Everything. What is the Holy Spirit of God, what does He have to do with us as believers being risen from the dead? Everything. The Father will give the Helper. We see that we understand who the Helper is coming from. The Helper will be with those to whom the Helper is given forever. Not for a season, not for a temporary period of time, but forever. We are to understand the Helper as the Holy Spirit of God, as a who and not an it. The Helper, this Greek word paraclete, the encourager, the counselor. Some suggest uh, judicial overtones, a legal assistant or advocate. We can reasonably also say one who is called alongside uh, one another, called to one's side to appeal to, to comfort and to encourage. There is much we can say on the Holy Spirit, and we must do so as our study continues, but not today. We will find not only that the Holy Spirit is counselor, but we will see also that He is indeed teacher. He is the teacher of God's people. This is Jesus' farewell discourse to His disciples. So a function or title of the Holy Spirit as a comforter or helper is perfectly acceptable for, for us and, and our time this morning when we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we must understand right where the disciples are in redemptive history, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, and before the ascension of Jesus, and before the day of Pentecost. These disciples are saved. They know the Spirit for He abides with you, says Jesus, abides with them in Christ, verse 17, and will be in you, he says, in the disciples after Pentecost. But the coming of the Holy Spirit is absolutely dependent upon Christ's ascension and exaltation, verse 16 and 17. After the resurrection, before his ascension, We remember what he says to Mary, uh, chapter 20, verse 17. I'll just read it for you. He says, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And we are going to cover these, God willing, over time. But we must understand where they were in redemptive history in contrast to, in comparison to, where we are in redemptive history. We live after the resurrection. We live after the ascension and after the exaltation of Christ. We live after the uh, unrepeatable event at Pentecost. We need to remember that when Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John 14, none of these things have happened yet. When someone is converted today, born again, the Holy Spirit of God indwells that person immediately. Regeneration by God. Jesus says in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 8, 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Other texts 
tell us, John 14, 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, says Jesus, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, who I will send from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And Jesus says something very profound as well here in chapter 16, verse 7, which applies to us as well today. <clears throat> but if I go, I tell you the truth, it is to, to your advantage that I go away. Consider Jesus saying that to the disciples. It's for your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. This God given helper. Our first point being this God-given helper. Jesus must go away in order for the Holy Spirit to be sent to the disciples. Not only is He the God-given helper, He's also the guider in truth, secondly. The guider in truth and the glorifier of Jesus Christ. He is the guider in truth and the glorifier of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit of God. The guider in truth, the glorifier of Jesus Christ. Because it does not see him, nor know him. But he says, but you know him. Because He abides with you and will be in you. The Spirit of truth. Jesus would no longer be there in person. He would no longer be on the scene to teach them. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth would be. Jesus elaborates more on this in chapter 16, verse 13. I'll just read it for you. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He, the Spirit of truth, will glorify Me, says Jesus, for He will take of Mine and disclose it to you. One primary role of the Holy Spirit of God that is very important for us to understand, and that is to glorify Jesus Christ. To glorify Christ. The world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it cannot, nor will not, nor does it want to glorify Jesus Christ. No, the world without Christ hates Jesus Christ. The Spirit of truth ought to be contrasted with the Spirit of error. The Spirit of, of error is all over the place. We can find it wherever. And the question for you this morning is. Who is guiding you? The spirit of truth or the spirit of error? James Boyce points out, we may conclude that any emphasis upon the person and work of the spirit that detracts from the person and work of the Lord Jesus is not the spirit's doing. And we could give example after example after example uh, of these things that are happening in our world today. That say, oh, this is of God, this is of God. But it detracts from the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And Boyce says, that is not the Spirit's doing. It is the work of another spirit, the spirit of Antichrist, whose work it is to detract and distract from Jesus. Those in the world who are without Christ cannot perceive true spiritual things about Christ. They may think that they can. They may profess that they can. But they will get it wrong all day long because they do not know Him. It is impossible to be able to know Christ and to comprehend the things of Christ apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because why? They are spiritually appraised. He also says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross, this, this, this weekend, Good Friday, remember? Remember when it was about Jesus? It was about the crucifixion in some way, shape, or form? It still is for us who behold the Lord. I think it might still be a holiday for some. Praise God for that. For those who may have to work and get the day off and can uh, be meditate upon the things of the Lord. Good Friday. Well, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is indeed the power of God. Without God opening up the eyes of man and changing man's heart, man will not receive the Spirit and will not receive Jesus Christ because Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he says, indeed, I will raise him up on that last day. Romans 8 tells us, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Jesus says to his disciples, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The word you is in the emphatic position, which tells us that this is in contrast to those who do not know him, to those who are of the world. He says, but you know him, the Spirit, because He abides with you and will be in you. Those of the world do not know Him. That's the contrast, of course. He says He abides with you presently, a constant reality, by their sides, in their midst. Now, when we consider this text, and I'm just going to give you a brief um, sidebar on this because we're going to look at this further, not today. God willing, we'll look at it further because it's important. When we hear this verse, it's often interpreted as a way of differentiating between Old Covenant believers and believers in the New Covenant. The explanation goes as such, the Spirit was only with believers in the Old Covenant, where now in the New Covenant He is in them. In our studies in a week to come, we hope to discuss, I hope to discuss that particular position in more detail. And so we can land somewhere and make sure that we are, we're clear on that. 
So pray for me on that so that I'm clear on that. But for now, keep in mind, the Holy Spirit has been very active in the life of Jesus Christ. Thus far, at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. When he entered into temptation, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from uh, the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. The Spirit was Jesus' counselor with him every step of the way. Sinclair Ferguson puts forth a solid argument in his book, The um, Lessons from the Upper Room, and he says this. So it's good for us to ponder and just pack it away for our further study. What did Jesus mean? He abides with you and will be in you. Ferguson suggests this, that, that Jesus meant something like this, and he's narrating what Jesus may have said. You already know the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, because He has been present with you, indwelling me, Jesus speaking. But when I send Him from the Father, He, this very same Spirit, is going to be present indwelling you, disciples. Yes, the same Spirit who was with Jesus these 33 years has been present in His life with all the resources of His presence in His life, holiness, love, will, will indwell you, disciples. One and the same Spirit, the identical Spirit, who anointed Jesus, indwells all born-again Christians. Again, John 16, 7, It is to your advantage that I go away, says the Lord. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you advantageous for us as well, as we know. So we have the God-given helper, the guider of truth, and the one who glorifies Christ. And Jesus tells the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus' words take us back to the days of Moses' departure, which surely the disciples were familiar with could resonate with, maybe we're thinking about when Jesus was saying he was leaving. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. And in Joshua 1, 5. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you, says the Lord. We all know the saying or maybe we've said it, maybe we say it all the time, whether it be right or wrong or indifferent, who knows? But I'll be there in spirit, right? We want to be there where someone is. We're praying for someone that's in a place, and we want to be there. We can't. We say, well, I'll be there in spirit. And we mean well, and obviously we're not going to be there in spirit. But we're praying for them, or we wish we were there, or we cannot be there. But when Jesus says this, Jesus can say this and truly mean it. For he comes by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ, glorifies Christ, teaches us about Christ, gives the believer the ability to follow these teachings of Christ because we are in Christ. The disciples did not have to wait until Pentecost, though, for Jesus in Acts chapter 2. 
for Jesus to come to them. He comes to them after his resurrection. So we see, thirdly, this grand and grave departure. Grand and grave departure. Grave, no pun intended to the tomb, another word for grave. But grave as in... uh, can't find another word for it this morning, but grand and grave departure. Sorrowful, but grand at the same time. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. Oh, what could Jesus be referring to here? The crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection. Christ. It is as if Jesus is looking past the cross to his resurrection when the disciples would see him again. He says, in a little while, and he repeats this in a little while in chapter 16, verse 16, a little while longer and you will see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this he says? Jesus knew that they were wished to question him, and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? That I said a little while, and you will not see me, and a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, because they hate Christ. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. So he says, a little while, a little while longer, a little while longer, the world will not see him. He would be removed from the world, and spiritually speaking, the world did not comprehend him, nor did the world want him as well. His crucifixion was only hours away, a little while longer before the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would pray and would be plunged into anguish so intense that he was troubled to the point of death. You want to know what this weekend is about that we celebrate on the calendar? Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? Well, here it is. The Garden of Gethsemane was there. Jesus was there. He would pray The Lord prayed over and over, falling to the ground, over and over. His sweat became like drops of blood, falling down upon the ground, says the Gospel of Luke. Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but but yours be done. The cup, always in view, as our Lord prayed in the garden, Yet, never did our Lord waver an inch. The cup which the Father has given me, 
Shall I not drink it, says the Lord? The cup given by the Father to Jesus was what the sinless Savior dreaded. It wasn't the soldiers. It wasn't the mockers. It was this cup. The cup representing God's judgment and wrath and punishment for sin. Calvin says he had before his eyes the dreadful tribunal of God and the judge himself armed with inconceivable vengeance. And because of our sins, the Lord which was, the load which was laid upon him pressed him down with enormous weight. A little while. Then he would be arrested. A little while his disciples would flee. A little while longer, and Peter would deny him three times. A little while longer, Pilate would interrogate him and have him tortured. The crown of thorns would be placed upon the blessed Lord. Hands given to men by God for building and helping and protecting would be used by wicked men to beat him, scourge him, and torture him. A purple robe would be placed upon him as they mocked him, spat upon him, and cursed him. Voices would shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate would have him handed over for this execution of crucifixion. The Roman soldiers would nail the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus to a wooden cross where he would continue to suffer in physical agony of the bloody wounds and of the slow process of suffocation. Darkness would fall upon the land and the cup of the Father's wrath was poured out on the sinless Savior. Darkness was the symbol of God's holy wrath. On the cross, the blessed Savior died for His people in their place as a substitute. He bore our sins, suffered the wrath of God against us for our sins in our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as the full flood of the Father's wrath against sin was poured out on the Son of God. The Father turned His face away. He could not look on sin. God the Father shut the door on His Son when Jesus was on the cross paying for our sins and enduring the wrath of God. It was the will of the Lord to crush His Son to bruise him, putting him to grief, says Isaiah 53. Washer reminds us it was not merely the lacerations on his back, the crown of thorns on his head, or the nails in his hands and feet that purchased our salvation. We are not saved merely because of what men did to Jesus. We are saved because of what, the God, what God the Father did to his son. He caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 
God imputed to Jesus our sin. He who knew no sin became sin in our place. The Father withdrew His presence from Jesus as His wrath was being poured out on Jesus, a substitutionary sacrifice. In a little while, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. All of us are born in sin, and without Christ we will die in our sin and face God's judgment. Jesus died on the cross for sinners like you and me. Jesus died that day. He gave up His life that day. His body then put into a tomb. The tomb was secured by guards, and even a seal was placed on the stone. It indeed was Friday, but Sunday was coming. In a little while, the tomb would be empty. Jesus would rise from the dead. He conquered the devil. He conquered hell. He conquered death itself. The grave could not hold him. He arose victorious. Death dies when Christ arose. This grand and grave departure. And then indeed we have the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible, please turn there as well. We have the God-given helper, the Holy Spirit of God. He is our guider to truth and the glorifier of Jesus Christ. What a grand but grave departure. And then we have the glorious resurrection of our Lord. Glorious resurrection. He says in John, because I live, you will live also. Jesus lives He was raised from the dead in the same body in which he died. Nail-scarred hands, wound in his side. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us some details of his appearance to many after he rose from the dead. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then in verse 12, asks a very important question. A very important question that needs to be answered today. It needs to be asked today, and it needs to be answered today. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, 
your faith also is vain. So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we may as well go home. We may as well just live the way we want to. May as well just do whatever. But no, he did rise from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, verse 16. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. You mean we have a way that we don't have to remain in our sins anymore? Yes, because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he conquered death, and because he saves lost sinners. The preaching of the apostles from this time forward would be based on the fact that he lives. And if you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead according to the scriptures, you cannot be saved. Romans tells us that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. This declaration was made when he arose. The resurrection is also proof that God will judge all men. Acts chapter 2, I'll just read it for us. Peter's sermon, chapter 2, verse 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Death could not hold him. In Acts 17, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He lives... And because he lives, you will live also, he says. Final point. After the glorious resurrection, we have guaranteed life. Guaranteed life. This brings us right back to the Holy Spirit of God. Guaranteed life for the Christian. Regeneration. Preservation. Perseverance. And ultimately, glorification. The question everyone must answer this morning is, where will you spend eternity? If you were to die today, where would you go? Where would your soul go? Have you answered that question? Are you firm on that question? Do you know for certain? Do you know for sure? Do you know that you belong to Christ? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. You either say yes and amen to Jesus or call him a liar. Which one will it be if you're on the fence this morning? Today is the day of salvation. Guaranteed life. Where will you live eternity? In hell under God's just judgment forever or live eternally with Jesus in heaven because you have repented and trusted him. The kingdom of God is for those who recognize that they are hell-deserving sinners, for those who are spiritually broken over their sin. 
They realize that they have broken God's law, such as blasphemy, lying, stealing, and having anger in their heart without just cause. And repenting, which means turning from sin, having godly sorrow for sin, renouncing it and seeking forgiveness, and committing to Jesus Christ to trust in Him alone to save your soul and to walk in a narrow way that leads to life. These are the ones who live. Romans 8 tells us, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. A believer's identification is with the resurrected Christ. Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. When you die, you will spend eternity with Jesus. We know that, we understand that, and praise God for that. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you today, that means you have repented of your sin and submitted your life to Jesus Christ. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, then you are still dead in your sins. And if you do not respond to the gospel call from the risen Savior, when you die, your soul will be thrown into hell. Will you remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved for the judgment of the great day? For it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. At that time, it would be too late if you do not know Christ. There will be no second chances. There will be no do-overs. There's no such thing as purgatory. That is a lie. From the pit of hell. It's heaven or hell. It's not too late today, though. I plead with you to throw down your arms and run to Jesus now. Jesus conquered death and has provided a way of salvation through his death and resurrection. And 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Paul tells us in Ephesians, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Philippians tells us, chapter 2, Paul says, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You best surrender to him and while you still have life in you. God-given helper, the Holy Spirit, who is our guider to truth and is the glorifier of Christ. When Jesus left, it was a grand yet grave departure. And indeed, it was a glorious resurrection. He conquered the grave. And we are guaranteed life for those who trust in him. His robes for ours. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robes. We who are Christians are clothed in Jesus Christ. If you are not a born-again Christian this morning, you are still dead in your filthy rags. An encouragement for us who believe, who are His, comes from the hymn, 
because he lives. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day, I and you will cross the river. We'll fight life's final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, we'll see the lights of glory and know he lives. Because he lives, Christians, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because we know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Jesus has been risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Father, my prayer is that the resurrected Christ was glorified today in any effort. Lord, we pray that what was beneficial would not fall on deaf ears, but on hearts pliable to change. Lord, we pray you would save anyone in here today who does not know Christ before it's too late. For us who know you, Lord, thank you for another reminder. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Because he lives, we can face whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name.